Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of History Unloaded with Ashley and Danny. And today we are talking about jerks of firearm history and why they don't get more credit. Ashley, continue. What people didn't see was that your mouth made them like the shape of starting to say douchebag, but you aborted that plan. I did. This is a family friendly podcast now. So I had to edit. Oh, is it? Is no, it? it's not, but I, okay. Yeah. It's self edited. It's self edited. That was fantastic. I wish people could have seen that because like I was like, oh my God, is Danny gonna say it? The douche canoes of firearms history. There we go. That's gonna be the name, Camila. Write it down. Um, so I don't know. I think back in like season one, we did uh an episode called The Real Gunmakers of the Connecticut River Valley. Uh, which is like brilliant and why that's not its own like online TV show. Like it doesn't qualify for like history channel, but like we should make that a thing and hire some biggest actors. Like, I think, I don't know why that's not a thing yet, but we were talking about that. Well, I sent Danny a message and he ignored it, but that's fine. (laughs) Saying that we should continue that conversation. And part of that was because I was preparing a podcast. uh, I have another podcast, Danny, that I'm a regular on. Did you know? We haven't talked about this yet, and I feel like we need to unpack it, but probably right now is not the best time. Okay. Yes. Fun fact. I don't want to cry in front of our listeners. (laughs) I'm a regular contributor on another podcast. I won't name it. Thank you. On this one. At least do me the the favor of not naming it here. Because I think it's got like a million viewers or listeners every week. (laughs) But whatever. Uh, But I was preparing uh, a story on Roland White so we can get into who he is. Um, And like, it, it just made me realize that we need to revisit this whole conversation of how like gun makers like always but like especially in the 1800s were just like gossip mongers and they were dramatic and so we were gonna talk about what were we gonna talk about danny one how people get more credit than they should for inventions sometimes and then how like certain people probably would have either kept the credit they received or gotten more credit had they just been like nice about it They've just been nice about it. But in the case of Samuel Colt, you just got to have a nice wife. Actually, this is a theme. So let's dive right in. Let's jump right in there. Okay, so who's let's first? start with Roland White. Roland White. Which, I, so I was just checking quickly. Like all these other guys have portraits somewhere. Does he have a portrait anywhere in your research? Have you seen an image of what he looked like? Um, let me Google right now because, you know, guys, you know how much prep we do. Um, I think I saw a picture of him on, uh, Michael Helms site. You know who that is, right, Danny? Yeah, sure. He's a firearms historian. Got it. Oh, no way. No, that's just a picture of Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, Roland White is very famous for looking exactly like him. So we'll use that to go on. I'm going to tag him in that. I'm going to cut this clip and I'm just going to tag him in that. <laughs> Anyways, so why don't you start with the the what you learn in the history books about yeah. Roland White. The short version of what you learn in history books about Roland White is that as revolvers were becoming more prevalent, thanks to somebody to be discussed in a minute, 
Samuel Colt. Revolvers are coming onto the market. People are buying them. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Episode over. Um, Smith and Wesson, Horace and Daniel, as I like to call them, they decide. Like you just said, a horse. Horse. Horse Horse and Daniel. (laughs) They they start making revolvers based on Roland White's board through cylinder patent, and it's a bit of a workaround because, as everybody knows, Ashley's favorite topic is mid nineteenth century revolver patents. So it's a bit of a workaround of Colt's patents in that they bore through the cylinder and don't impinge upon Colt's and they bring the Smith & Wesson number one to market. And this is largely based on, as the story goes, Roland White's idea for a board through cylinder, which then Smith & Wesson use, but then they just make the guns. And every time his patent is challenged, they put him up to the defense of it. So he's got to pay the legal costs and fees and doesn't get a lot of money back on winning these cases successfully for defending his patent. And so he gets sort of bled dry financially by defending the patent that Smith and Wesson are using to make their revolvers and make a bunch of money. And that launches their company successfully. And poor old Roland is left to the dustbin of history, poor, broke, and battered down, I assume. <laughs> Beleaguered. Um, okay. Okay. So you just like, you just teased I had editorialized a lot. <laughs> You well, so this is the thing. Like when you hear that story, right? You're like, oh, poor Roland White, just like you said. No, Roland White was a dick. Okay, <laughs> and he got what he had coming to him. Wow. <laughs> I've not heard this full story yet, so I'm excited. <laughs> also, in addition to me like cheating on this podcast with other podcasts, does it also, Camila, make you upset that I actually prepare for the other podcast? <laughs> Outrage. I, I write exactly what I'm going to say. <laughs> I guess we get to find out how that works out now that you'll share your notes for this one. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so this is why it's interesting because it does sound like an underdog story, right? Like this man revolutionized revolver technology and he really did. Um, I mean, his design was a little questionable, but, uh, but the idea was there and he patented it. So, you know, we have, we've talked about other people, Walter Hunt, who has great ideas, questionable, but brilliant. Um, so essentially Roland White, uh, he's born in 1818. <laughs> See? Um, and he learns how to make guns from his brother and they have a contract um, to work with Colt. And so he ends up going over to Colt. And when he's working at Colt, he's like, mm, I'm going to mm, like take these gun parts and I'm going to do something special. And so he ends up creating this concept of a board through cylinder um, with a Colt. And like I, I've said this story, I think in other you know documentaries where like in my yes. version he goes to Sam Cole like directly, which I'm sure didn't happen. Wait, what year is it? Okay, no, he, he was still alive. Um, so in my story, he goes up to him directly and is like, "Hey, bro, I have this really cool thing. Look what I did." This will make the Colt load faster. Like this is brilliant. And Colt's like, "No," because as we'll talk about Colt in a minute, he too is a butthead. So. But ultimately, Colt does pass. Like, Colt, the company, Sam Colt, I don't know, but they pass. So he ends up taking, he he takes the patent out. He actually takes five patents out um, as soon as he leaves uh, Colt, which I think was like in 1848. And one of the patents 
goes to Smith and Wesson and only part of that patent. So that patent has the bore through cylinder and also a box magazine, but Smith and Wesson only buy the rights to the bore through cylinder part of the patent. And it's a really cool thing. And it kind of speaks to Danny, uh, what your article talked about, um, which, you know, I think we talked about on one podcast, but when you talked about how one of the biggest changes and developments in the mid to late 19th century was not just the invention of, you know, upgraded technology, but the combination of that technology to make something successful. <laughs> I really got this. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, so with what you were talking about in the previous episode in your article was, you know, Hunt's, you know, tubular magazine, right. you know, hit the ammunition concept, the striker fire, actually the striker fire was whatever, but you know, all of those things came together to make what ultimately becomes the Winchester. And so the same kind of can be said for um, Smith and Wesson's metallic cartridge patent and Roland White's patent. And so, yes, they create a deal. Roland White's going to get 25 cents for every gun. Uh, like seriously, guys, prepped. <laughs> so mad right now. Correct. 25 cents on every gun. But hey, this is going to come out before that one. So there you go. Cool. 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 Um, beat to the press. But so 25 cents on every gun. But here's where it gets murky. So he does agree to handle the patent, you know, litigation. And there's so many lawsuits. Like there are so many lawsuits like in the 1850s, like prior to like the buildup of the Civil War. Um and for the most part, the courts do side with Roland White, um, although there's like challenges, um, which kind of goes to the whole they get more credit than they maybe are due because, you know, they talked about, um, I think La Fichot, uh, you know, had developed with his pinfire some level of board through cylinder. So like when they were doing the patent challenges, the other side would pull up other people um, who had also created something similar, but earlier as a challenge. And so, you know, that's a moment where maybe he gets more credit than he's due because there are other people that were working on it. Um, and so these, but, but usually he wins, except the Supreme Court apparently couldn't decide, but <laughs> he does these, he Bye. does these lawsuits, but then he does something super douchey, which is that he takes out another patent in like the 1860s, which is essentially a variation on his previous patent so that he can turn around and threaten to sue Smith and Wesson. So he like, <laughs> just like changes his notes a little bit and then tries to sue him. Yeah, he's like, I, well, he he doesn't. He just like is like, hey guys, like I can I, I can sue you for using the patent that I that I sold to you. Well, not sold, but you know. So so he's threatening to sue everybody at this point, and he's a little uppity about it. And so then uh, Smith and Wesson actually gets kind of fed up with him, and they're like, uh, you know, Colt, do you want to buy this patent? And they're like, no, we're good, thank you. And they never really put these these timelines together until I was reading about this. Um, but, you know, Colt doesn't have their board through cylinder until, you know, 1872 with the model 1873. And uh, Roland White's patent expires in 69. Mm -hmm. So they were just like, mm, we don't want to deal with that nightmare, you know? Yeah. So like, <laughs> are you listen, saying he out douchebagged Colt? Right. That's what I was going to say. Like, yeah, they're all like, you know what? We know how this game works, so we're not going to play. We're just going to wait a minute. Like, yeah, we're just going to wait it out. Um, so all of this is going on, and now Roland White. And then there's this other really weird story that, like, in the 1860s, this company pops up um, mm -hmm. called, like, the Roland White Arms Company. And it's unclear as to whether or not 
he actually was involved with it uh, because his name's not listed anywhere, um, like as a founder or whatever, but it has his name. And like, wouldn't it just be also hilarious that Roland White, who's suing people who are infringing on his patent, creates a company <laughs> that infringes on his patents? That would be amazing. Right? But if not, maybe it was someone who hated him from a from another company that was like, why hold my beer (laughs) (laughs) and creates a gun company in his name and infringes on his own patent. So I have a lot of thoughts after, after this. I'm not done. Oh, well then keep going. I won't interrupt. I'll (laughs) save myself, save my thoughts. (laughs) Okay. So we're almost there. We're almost there. So that was my random aside, civil war, more litigations after the civil war, which I, I, well, I said 1869, so I already went through the Civil War yeah, yeah. and then I backtracked, but whatever. Um, so his, his, I almost, almost swore like way more than I've ever sworn in the podcast. So his whole situation is expired. 1869, he lobbies to have it uh, extended. They say no. He lobbies Congress that he's like, oh, poor me. Here's the poor me narrative. Okay. Mm-hmm. He goes, oh, poor me. I didn't make a lot of money. You know, Smith and Wesson made so much money. I feel like I sound like a like super annoying right now. People aren't listening to the podcast are gonna be like, stop talking like that chick from Shits Creek. <laughs> You're just trying to personify how annoying he was to everybody around him. Exactly. So he's like, listen, I didn't make that much money. He made about seventy-one thousand dollars, which is over a million dollars today. But Smith and Wesson made a million dollars. So I, I understand the disgruntlement. But the the reasoning, so and, and Congress is like, all right, we'll hear you. And it was like an act for the relief of like Roland White. Uh, it was something as silly as that. <laughs> Just imagine the absolute presumption you have to get Congress to pass an act in your name over right? your so, dispute. Right. So like, I mean, he either was he was either so prolific. Were so annoying that they were like, fine, we'll hear you. So he like he cites that the patent litigation is why he didn't make a lot of money, except that he put the patent like stuff in his wife's name to evade having to pay. And then he evaded like all his other bills. Like he only paid like $17,000 of the attorney bills. And then Smith and Wesson never saw anything. He was like, he was just like, dodging like he's like the you know deadbeat dad of you know attorney's fees i actually thought a few seconds ago when you were like describing like the story getting weirder like the next chapter that it was going to be like two dudes walk up to him on a train station and said are you our real dad oh my god i just took a sip of water and it almost just got sprayed which i feel like we've already explained in this season so i don't think we need to yeah if you I don't get the reference, you have to twice. listen to every episode until you do. Yeah, That's... exactly. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so basically, you know, he's lying through his teeth. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to think maybe he didn't have so even to, after the know. attorney fees, he still made what some 40 plus thousand dollars. Oh, don't do math. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't okay. see if that 71,000 was like total or, you know, was it gross or net? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, anyways, <laughs> what was I saying? Okay, so it goes to Congress, and Congress is like, We'll hear you. And then President Grant is just like, F you know, he's like, Not classic Grant, yeah, <laughs> classic Ulysses, classic. 
So he's like, no. And he cites this guy, the chief ordinance, whatever, um, who calls who calls uh, uh, Roland White an embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so was he a poor, like just a poor designer um, or was he a jerk who could have been historically more well known if he had just kept his mouth shut and been known for his like really good idea you yeah, know like, because like when you have to like challenge everyone then they're gonna come back and be like your idea wasn't that great bro sorry you know if he's not constantly suing people like at some point he gave smith and wesson a reason to deny his involvement you know like they had to say no he wasn't as involved as he says like we're gonna put the you know we have to go to court about this we have to talk about this we have to publicly take a stand whereas if he wasn't such so aggressive about it they could have just been like yeah this guy helped us out design our gun and he's made some money off of it we made some money off of it everybody's cool but no he had to like give everybody a reason to get defensive about who invented the cylinder the board through cylinder and he took it all the way to congress all the way that's such a that's i don't think i realized that maybe i hadn't known that part of the story and forgot but that's a pretty extreme length to go to yeah, in Congress. To Congress. To Ulysses. To Ulysses. Actually you know, like I love that Ulysses had to be like, I'm stepping in, guys. I'm going to call a veto on this anymore. one. I'm calling a veto on this one. Um, So I feel like we just made an entire episode on just Roland White, but yeah. let's keep going. Well, he Dude. reminded me of somebody else that we oh. didn't talk about before the episode as one of our topics, but G.W. Morse. Oh, Go. So G.W. Morrison, I we probably reference him again. Look, wait, I'd like to point out that Camila is like leaning forward. Like I feel like she's super into this. It's not going to be that good, Camila. It's not worth it. Camila's like, wait, you guys know stuff. We know we know stuff sometimes. <laughs> so G.W. Morris, he is a firearms inventor. I think distantly distantly related to the Morse that invented the telegraph. Like, oh, I was going to say like the code. Yeah, the code. <laughs> They're keep to the code. Um, so GW Morse, he invents a breech loading conversion and a cartridge that would enable the U.S. Ordnance Department or War Department. <laughs> what? You said enable. Enable? It sounds like you said enable. Well, whatever he's doing to the Ordnance Department, he comes up with this breech loader for to convert muzzle loading muskets and rifle muskets to breech loading so cover muzzle loading to breech loading the war department ahead of the civil war is actually quite interested in this idea although they don't get a lot of credit for it so they say yeah let's try this out here's some funds we'll appropriate some money for this conversion idea we'll even set you up at harper's ferry they start working on guns they run out of money after like they were supposed to make 2000 and they run after run out of money after like 70 60 70 guns like that something like that um seems like an okay system they're trying to get more money then the civil war breaks out and so morse he is from the south i believe he sides with the south he goes first to nashville and works at one of the um confederate armories there mostly doing they're doing a lot of repair work and upgrades so converting flintlocks to percussion and repairing percussion guns for trying to get just any kind of serviceable gun into the field from there he goes i believe to atlanta for a bit and works at one of the factories there 
and then eventually ends up in uh, South Carolina because South Carolina has their own rifle works. And there he kind of develops his breech loading gun further, which he hadn't had the opportunity necessarily to do when the sort of emergency need for guns was present in the early years of the war and was really throughout the war. But he gets a he gets room to develop his breech loading idea in South Carolina, develops it there enough to get South Carolina to buy a thousand of his breech loading uh, carbines. They might get issued really close to the end of the war. Don't see a lot of action. They're pretty innovative. They're a breech loading centerfire uh, metallic cartridge carbine during the Civil War. At the end of the war, once all the hostilities have ended and the sides sort of the U.S. has a ton of surplus guns on its hand and everybody's trying to rebuild their lives, he then sues the U.S. government over the idea of um, breech loading any type of cartridge, any type of breech loader or cartridge conversion. He says, you bought during the Civil War some, you know, hundred, I forget what the total number is, but it's over a hundred thousand, you know, Spencer's, Burnside's, all sorts of the breech loading guns that the Union bought during the war. I am owed a dollar per gun on every gun you bought that is a breech loader of any type because I patented a breech loading conversion before the Civil War, which is true. He did patent his conversion. The U.S. government then is a little bit of an, uh, like, sends it back and they're like, well, one of the reasons you, one of the things you have to do for a patent is defend your patent. And we couldn't find you in these last few years and you have to defend it for seven years. So since you didn't defend it, it's not valid. So like they pretend to not know what he was up to and get really coy all of a sudden. And it goes back and forth and they end up like with a settlement. But I feel like he would get a lot more credit for his really innovative like cartridge and breech loading design had he not been immediately like, I'm going to sue you over everything you owe me money. And weirdly, eventually then goes back to work for the ordinance department after it all like settles out and like develops a, I think a, a, uh, a, a works on one of the centerfire cartridges in the 1880s or something like that. But that's the GW Morse tale of woe. I think it's, but like, I like that you're like, had he not decided to sue for everything, but like also maybe had he not sided with the South. Yeah. That's part of it too. Like <laughs> he like goes South. So I always tell, when I tell the story, I sum it up as he invents a breech loader, sides with the, with the Confederacy and fights, actively fights the government, then sues the government and then goes back to work for the government, which is a really, to me, crazy order of operations. Classic government employees. (laughs) Those, those government employed, man, what will they do next? Gosh, I just like, I wish that I could be like a fly on the wall of like all of this litigation that's going on during this time frame you know like like the caning of Sumner is like the tip of the iceberg of this nonsense so yeah that was a really that was a long-winded story by me but meant to be an addition it wasn't nearly as long-winded as mine so who's Um, next on our list well we were going to talk about Sam Cole but I'm trying to come up with somebody else because you know what it's it's been done everybody knows he's a jerk everybody knows he's a jerk okay and he didn't invent the revolver and he didn't invent the revolver um end of the end of chapter 
Yeah. Well, how about like all the times when you're like, um, you know, Hiram Stevens Maxim invented the machine gun, but he didn't invent the machine gun. There was he, he was one of the first, you know. But did was that because he was? I don't know that he was regarded as a jerk unless you believe the story that he like ditched his family. See, oh, I no, I don't think he was a jerk. Um, who was a jerk? I mean, there's the the last option on the list was Williams. Oh yeah, we could jump forward in history. Um, which I think would be, which I think would be fine. Um, I was just trying to, you start with, you start with Williams and I'm going to, I'm going to stew yeah. over if I can think of someone really obscure that, <laughs> that we, we went, could. I mean, Roland White and Morris are pretty obscure. Yeah. Uh, I think we told a shittier version of the Roland White story. That's not less accurate back in season one, but you know, we're older and wiser. Before I start my Williams story. I would like to ask, did you also tell a version of this in a National Geographic documentary some number of years ago? Um, so here's actually a funny story about that. Uh, okay. and my naivete when it comes to T well, when it came to TV, I'm very wise now. And um, so I'm doing the interview and it's you know, Colt versus Wesson, which is its own kind of almost history, but not really. <laughs> Um, but people love it and it still haunts me and it's on lots of planes internationally. It's crazy. But, um, so when we were, then they were doing the interview, I started talking about Roland White, which thank God they didn't include it because I think I liked him more. I liked him more like two days ago than I like him <laughs> Until now. now, until right now you like the dude. <laughs> um, so I was like talking about that and I was like, are we going to talk about Roland White? And they were like. Well, we don't have time to introduce another character. <laughs> Not in this season. Because it was like, you know, it was like, you know, expert talking heads, but then also, um, you know, reenactments. And it was the first time I realized that, like, the reason things get left out on, like, history shows is because you can only, people's brains, like, their brain sickles can only handle so much in a short period of time, unless you're listening to this. And then, you know, I'm sorry. We just don't care well, how much you can handle <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, but yeah, so like, but they can only like, they have to have like, a, like a linear narrative that's very concise. And so, yeah, my funny, my funny there was that like, I was just like, we, we can't introduce him because you can't introduce a new character. Do you understand how complicated history is? It's a plethora of new characters. Plethora. No one talks about the other Wessons. No. Actually, that documentary did. <laughs> Oh, so they so had time for Frank, Edwin. but not Roland? Cool. No, I think it was Edwin. Oh, okay. We talked about Edwin, but you just brought up another one. See? Okay, Edwin. that's a new episode. Wessons. How many Wessons are there? Yeah. How many Wessons are there? I we don't... should actually, we did talk about this, and we should do this, a random tangent, but it'll probably get you your next episode. Um, we were saying, like, you know, telling the history of Browning without talking about John Moses. We should just, uh, which I feel like we already did, but we should just do like that. Like we should talk about the like the, the step siblings that have siblings, the redheaded stepchildren of like gun makers, like you know, like Roland White's brother. Who that? Nobody knows. Yeah. I don't know. Someone with the last name of White. Speaking of stepbrothers, Ed Browning is a friend. key <laughs> is a key figure in the next story. <laughs> Maybe not. Key. Anyways. Go as a figure. So David Marshall Williams is classically 
credited with the invention of the M1 carbine. And we've done the history of the M1 carbine before on the podcast, but I think it's a good example of somebody who could still have credit had he not been a jerk to absolutely everyone. Short version of the story is that he was a very movie made after him though. Don't yeah. Short version, go watch the movie. Like Yeah, it's accurate. Jimmy Stewart crushed it. Um short version is David Marshall Williams is an inventive mechanical guy with a slightly troubled past, gets in trouble for running a still. Police come to raid his still. He gets in a shootout, shoots and kills one of them, goes to prison for murder of the deputy. Then while in prison, becomes like the handyman around prison, fixing mechanical things, eventually wins trust of the warden so that he can work on the guard's guns, fixing those and gets permission to sort of tinker a bit and comes up with a, a firearms design while in prison. While this is going on, the a number of companies are working on semi-auto rifles in the interwar period, and one of those being Winchester. Winchester is working with the half-brother of John Browning, Ed Browning, and they're designing a rifle, a semi-auto rifle of mostly Browning's design with some of Winchester's uh, engineering assistance. And Ed and... Edwin Pugsley, Ed Browning and Edwin Pugsley are working on this together when unfortunately Ed Browning passes away in I think 1938 and Ed Edwin Pugsley is introduced to Williams through um, an army officer, one of the ordnance department officers and is suggested that they meet and use Williams innovative gas system to build out um to develop Browning's rifle sort of further. And that happens. They meet, they then enter skipping a few parts. They enter the army light rifle trials in uh, the forties for what becomes the M1 carbine. And then David Marshall Williams gets known as carbine Williams for inventing the M1 carbine because he worked on what had been Ed Browning's design and refined it into what became the G30 series. And then to the M1 carbine, but that's not really the case. Um, sorry, I, Danny, that was just amazing because I, I had to turn my my camera off. <laughs> I started laughing so hard. <laughs> I had to put my baby Yoda blanket over my head because I was trying not to. Because like if that had happened to me, I couldn't have continued. Um, so the reason I was laughing was that this. Like I just had a flashback to that episode we've never released because oh, it was no. <laughs> right, monologue the history of the M1 carbine and then we had to redo it. <laughs> well, yeah, because you because you had a script. Oh, uh, look, we used to be prepared. I uh, tried once and it went terribly. I mean, <laughs> never again. yeah. So that was fantastic. But like, as you were saying certain things that you haven't said, like in previous podcasts, I was like, oh, my God, this is a recreation. <laughs> that was your flashback to. <laughs> and like, you know, it, I don't know if Camila keeps these things, but if it still exists, we should probably re-listen to it and see if we should release it. It's probably not nearly as bad as we thought it was because people have asked Danny, people have asked us to release it. Um, but I won't allow it. You know. Back to Car- Carbine Williams. Oh, I just did it. David Marshall Williams. I mean, that's definitely like it follows kind of the roll and white formula, which is like he had a cool idea 
Um, and well, no, I guess not because like Carbine, David Marshall Williams gets the name Carbine Williams, and people don't call this. Nobody calls Wilson. him Roland uh, Revolver White. Yeah, <laughs> Roland. I've been trying to come up with like a Roland pun like this whole time, but I, I guess I, I guess if it followed, it would be Revolver White, like Carbine Williams. Yeah, Revolver White, like you know, not not Breech Loader White, maybe like <laughs> no, it's Breech Loader Morse. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so I guess to some extent, but like, you know, the, and I guess Roland White's design was actually probably a little bit more innovative than David Marshall Williams since he was modifying Ed Browning's thing. But oh, that well, guy was just a jerk. That guy was. Yeah. And wins? so like who wins the jerk awards? I don't know. And for the listeners that don't want to go all the way back, what would happen later is that Pugsley would say it was really two other Winchester engineers that came up with it and they adopted White, uh, Williams's, I almost said White's gas system, Williams's gas system. And if they had wanted to, they found an early, a patent that predated uh, Williams's that they could have contested, but they didn't think it was worth all the time. And then Pugsley in like a confidential internal memo describes um Williams as like the most difficult person he's ever worked with. And he went out of his way to like, just annoy, like make people angry while he was at the factory. And that was never released. And then the movie comes out and then everybody knows him as Carbine Williams. And that never really gets challenged until like, so in this case, it's not some, he kind of gets, he's sort of the jerk and is still famous for it because Pugsley and others never really challenged him publicly. I don't know why that is. If they just wanted like, they were happy that Winchester still got credit for it or what, but he kind of got the best of both worlds in being a jerk and credit. Danny, can you pull that letter and I'll use it to, to advertise this. Well, in my handy Danny preparation here, I do have a, uh, copy of Armax that has the report Pugsley wrote. So that that report is fire. It's like as good, if not better, than Thomas Bennett's Browning letter. So and Topper well, Wine's Annie Oakley letter. Pugsley ends his report on like a series of like sort of findings, like one through ten of like here's what we know about the gun. And he actually says the prototype that Williams ended up making was probably better than ours, but he just didn't design it in time. But he ends on, during the building of both the experimental model and the final model that was tested, Williams went out of his way to insult and estrange practically every man he was supposed to work with, and from that standpoint, was probably the most unpopular man in the section. Which is like 1950s for, this guy was the worst. <laughs> um, please, please resend that to me. Okay, I will send that to you. That's just, like, we should just do a whole series on jerks. Jerks. So, yeah, those are three pretty good ones, I think, that if they had not been, because I think if Williams had been, you know, easier to work with, everybody would have been okay. Like, yeah, it's his gas system and that's the heart of the gun. So it's his gun. Like, we don't ever have to contest this. Whereas public, whereas Pugsley, like, has to sit down after the end of the war and be like, I'm writing this. I won't go public with it, but I'm writing this down so everybody knows it's not actually his gun. Yeah. Well, I can think of a few more people, but they're still alive. So <laughs> to be continued. TBC. TBC. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, I like that we just decided to ignore Sam Colt because I feel like that's really what he deserves. So we're letting him we're letting him get away with it. No, we've we've 
you know, the best way to make someone irrelevant is just to stop talking oh, about them. Cool. We're just never going to mention <laughs> talking about the history of revolvers with never saying his name. It's like like Browning. Perfect. He gets no credit. It was Collier all the way. It was DAFTA or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm cool with that. Wheeler Collier, Alicia. Any of them. Is it was it was was it Alicia Collier and something Wheeler? You're looking at me like I would have any idea. You're supposed to know everything, Danny. I'm supposed to know firearms history, but I I imagine if we went back and like tried to talk to a lot of these people, it would not go well. Oh, a hundred percent. It would not go well. Like if we went to Evan Pugsley, like dressed up as cousin it for sure would not go well. Bold strategy. Bold strategy. All right. Well, that ended up being kind of fun. Sorry I laughed too hard and Danny got a lesson in his ability to keep a straight face and talk through adversity. I it was quite a challenge. I'm very proud of my accomplishments. And now we will say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>